0: Uh, this is a parable. Uh, it's actually a double parable that Jesus tells um, while they're at a celebration, while they're at a feast, a banquet, thrown by Levi, uh, the tax collector, um, as, and he's invited Jesus and his current disciples over uh, to celebrate. And the Pharisees are also there, and they're witnessing all the people who are coming in and coming out, and they're also watching very closely the words and the actions of Jesus and his disciples. And uh, this is the context. Uh, a lot of times when I um, am disciplining my son, for instance, and my son was the child that was laying on the pews right here. And being a PK and being raised in the church, in the Baptist church, mind you, I got you know, in a lot of trouble for acting up in church. And I always tell Isaiah, you get away with so much. You get away with so much. Uh, But this time I had to be, I couldn't take his feet being on the pews and like laying down. So I said, no Kindle if you don't sit up, right? So that's our little secret insight into parenting during service. Um, But a lot of times when I'll say something to him, and it's very directed kind of instruction to him, he'll often say, you didn't tell Cammy that, Cammy's his younger sister, you didn't tell Cammy that, that's not fair, right? That's not fair, why doesn't she have to? And he'll say something like, practice piano and go read. One, Cammy doesn't read. Two, Cammy doesn't play piano. Or why, why, does, why does she not have to do this or that? And what I tell him is, just like we love you, in different ways. We don't love either of you more than the other. We don't love you less than her. We love you differently. And we also teach and deliver our teaching and our discipline to you differently. One, because you're a different age and time in life. And two, you have a different personality. And three, probably because you're a rambunctious boy and she's a, a little a toddler girl It's very different. And just to dive into the differences, you know, with Isaiah, you really, if you say something in a quiet voice, Isaiah, please don't do this. He just keeps doing it, right? You say it twice, three times, four times, five times, he's not listening. So it gets to a point where when my patience is thin, I kind of raise my voice and get that. Deep, like, like my dad did, you know, when I got scared of my dad, right? Isaiah, you know, Isaiah, you better do it or else. And, um, and he finally responds. And he's got kind of a thick skin, so he can take a lot. One time when I was raising my voice at Isaiah, I turned to Cammy and you stopped too, right? In the same level, right? The same tone and the same, lo- uh, like, loudness. And she just bursted out crying, just crying like true authentic tears, true authentic like sadness and this is the end of the world and my heart just broke. I'm like, oh, what have I done? I've like broken her. This was an example. I, I realized that even personality-wise, set gender or age to the side. Personality-wise, Tammy listens to every word I say and, and if there's even a bit of harsh word, she starts crying, right? She's way more sensitive than Isaiah is. Isaiah, I say something and he'll go, shut up dad, right? And he's just thicker skinned. And so my delivery needs to be different for Kami than it is with Isaiah. Does that make sense? We may be delivering the same message, right? The same central core but we're, we need to deliver it differently for different people. Context is really important. And if we think about it, context is a big part of why we make decisions, right? Why we say the things that we say, why we say them in a way, right? If you were, walking, if you were going to the Seahawks game, for instance, at a stadium, you would dress a certain way You wouldn't be quiet, you'd be yelling, right? You'd feel free to yell and you'd wear crazy things in a jersey versus meeting the president um, in the White House, right? You'd probably be in a suit, you'd speak differently, maybe you'd still be yelling, but you'd speak differently, I don't know, Uh, you'd speak differently, it's all about context and it affects how we act, how we behave and it's the same with truth. And the gospel. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at when he's interacting with the Pharisees. It's the same. It matters who you're talking to. It matters who you're dealing with. When you're presenting, when you're teaching, when you're discipling. So let's get into this a little more. This double parable. That of wineskins and that of garment. Right? Right? So just to go over the image, the two parables again. No one takes a new sh- new sweater. I actually, got this at Value Village though, so, so it's not new. it's new to me, but it's old. Uh, no one takes a new sweater and cuts it up to patch old jeans, right? Because you ruin two things. It's it's better to just keep the new thing, right, and get rid of the old thing. That's what Jesus is saying. But if you cut up the new thing and patch it on the old thing, this doesn't match, right? So it's, it's no good anyways. And then you just ruin the new thing. No one does that. And then with the wine, he's saying no one takes new wine and puts it into old wineskins. Because old wineskins have become less flexible, less malleable, more brittle over time. And new wine is just more whatever it is acidic or it's just got more pop to it and so when you pour it in the wine skins will burst right and you'll ruin the wine skins and you'll ruin the wine notice that jesus isn't saying necessarily that new wine is better right and he's not saying the old wine skins is worse and a lot of times in the traditional interpretation of this passage, that's the take, right? The traditional interpretation of this noble parable is that the old garment or the old wineskins represents Judaism, the law, right? The old covenant and the new wine and new wineskins, new garment represents Christianity, grace right the new covenant that jesus is bringing the pastor will then say all the old stuff in our church we got to get rid of it and bring in all the new stuff right and and then people are grumbling "What's what is he t- is he talking to me what's, what's going on but this is problematic kind of this polarization of old and new and cuz what i think is jesus is not creating a polemic against judaism right he's not arguing against Pharisees and Judaism. But he's ex- simply explaining why he chose the disciples that he chose. He's explaining why he chose the disciples that he chose. Jesus himself says, I am the fulfillment of the law. I didn't come to abolish the law, not one iota. I came to fulfill the law. The second thing is that Jesus was Jewish. And Christianity didn't even exist when Jesus was teaching. He was teaching out of the context of first century Judaism, right? He wasn't saying, I'm bringing a new religion, boom, and we're going to call it Christianity. He was coming out of the temple system. He was teaching in the temples, right? And even in Acts, the early disciples and apostles taught in the temples. They made it a habit to go to the temples and teach. We're not doing a new thing and overturning this old thing, but we're bringing a new teaching. We're bringing a, a, new, a fresh perspective on an old, old word. Jesus taught and made his disciples out of the context of first century Judaism. So instead of kind of setting this old and new right? Old covenant versus new covenant uh, against each other. I think the parable is more comparing Jesus's style or Torah teaching and the Pharisees' Torah teaching. Um, And Jesus is saying, you got to go with what works for people. You got to go with what works for people. So if you're a new student and you give a new student old knowledge and old books, the new student is gonna be like, no, I just, that's the, that, I just don't track with that, right? Gimme, I, I can't have this overhead, like you can't do that. You know, give me a YouTube video and like the internet, I'll learn it online, whatever. By the same token, if you take someone who's very learned In a subject, you know, in a certain field of knowledge, and give them a new type of teaching, sometimes they can't receive it. It's like you can't teach old dogs new tricks, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. The reason that I've chosen the disciples that I've chosen is because they're not educated like you're educated. I chose fishermen. I chose a tax collector, so I'm not gonna give the same type of mentoring, teaching and discipling that you're used to. It's gonna be different. It's gonna look different. And that's okay because you're used to old wine and you're educated and that's, that's fine, right? But you, you're gonna come into conflict with this and the reason why you're coming into conflict with this is because it's hard for you to digest this type, right? This new wine. So let's go into it a little more. In context, the beginning of chapter 5, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11, Jesus has just chosen his first disciples. He chooses some fishermen, and he says, come, follow me. I'll make you fisher of people. And they drop their, what do they do? They drop their nets and follow him. Something There's something about Jesus that's different. There's something about Jesus that's new. There's something about Jesus that gives me life. And I'm drawn to Jesus. I'm drawn to Jesus so much that I'm going to drop my livelihood. I'm going to drop my job, kick this job goodbye, and just follow Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus. Later on in the chapter, chapter 5, 27 through 28, is the call of Levi, a tax collector, right? Jesus calls the tax collector. And Levi, in the same way, is willing to give up what he's doing, his life, his livelihood, to follow Jesus. And in fact, he throws this big party and invites all his buddies and invites Jesus. There's something so compelling about who Jesus is and what Jesus is offering that the tax collector Levi is willing to set his life aside and do something new and do something new and he throws a party and it's at this point at the party that the Pharisees right before Jesus tells these parables criticize Jesus's choice of disciples what do they say why don't your disciples fast? Why aren't they fasting? Just John's disciples, John the Baptist, their disciples fast. We fast. Our little disciples fast. Why aren't you your disciples fasting? They seem to be drinking and eating and being merry. Right? And Jesus tells kind of uh, the bridegroom story. And then he responds also with this dual parable. After this chapter, in chapter 6, once again, the Pharisees uh, criticized Jesus' disciples for a, a breaking the Sabbath. They're picking the heads off the wheat right, during the Sabbath and shucking the wheat and kind of eating, eating it as they walk along. And this was le- legalistically a breaking of the Sabbath. So really the context of Jesus' parable is a response to the Pharisees' critique of his disciples and how they, who they are, right? They're brash, they're uneducated in the, in the scriptures, right? They're, they're eating and they're happy, they're smiling, and they're criticizing their, how they're breaking these laws of fasting and Sabbath. And that's why Jesus tells these parables. The wine is the teaching. Wine is a teaching. And wineskins are the individuals receiving the teaching. The individual, the student, the disciple, how they receive that teaching. And Jesus is contextualizing. If you're a Star Wars fan you know, Yoda. And what does Yoda teach, right? A Jedi, Luke. Before you learn anything about being a Jedi or use all these special powers, what must you do? You must unlearn, Luke. In order for me to bring this new wine, you know, I've, I've come to this place to bring the gospel, the good news, the good wine. In order for me to bring it, I'm, I'm not choosing Pharisees who are like, have immersed, like the old dogs who have immersed themselves in scripture. Back in those days, everyone, their primary education was in the scriptures, right? The fishermen, everyone would have had a primary education in the scriptures. But at age 12 or 13, Kind of the elite would move, continue their education in the scriptures. And then after that, maybe if they are richer or kind of the more gifted people will move on to be Pharisees or scribes or whatever. And can you imagine 50 years of your life just immersed in the law and the practice of the law right, and the temple? And then here comes Jesus, hey, let's party, let's drink, let's celebrate, hey, let's call the tax collectors, let's call the fishermen, and let's celebrate, I'm, the kingdom of God is here, it's just, it, it's harder to receive that. And I think this is why Jesus chose who he did, because there's nothing on the slate, Right? It's a blank slate. It's people who are hungry, right, ready to learn, and looking for something, searching for something. And that's why they drop their nets. That's why they put their lives to the side, to follow Jesus. Wow, I want it. I need it. I'm lacking it. The Pharisees, on the other hand, would be more like, I know it. I have it. What are you doing? (laughs) Bring in this. And so to be a Jedi, to be a disciple in Jesus's, in God's kingdom does mean, right? Like we talked about last week in approaching the parables and the secret of the kingdom is the the posture of humility, the posture of asking, what does that mean, Jesus? What do you mean by that? I don't understand. I don't have it all. I don't know. God has new wine for his people. Verse 39. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Right? If you take the traditional interpretation, verse 39 just throws it out. Right? Because it says, you're not going to drink new wine if you're used to drinking old wine. Because old wine is better. So in that sense, Jesus would be siding with the Pharisees or the older people, right? Older teaching. He's saying old wine is better. But what does this mean for us? Like, who cares? God brings new wine. God wants to do new things in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. And a lot of times, we're so used to holding the containers, whether that's our heart, the maps that we use to interpret the world around us, our habits, right, our coping mechanisms, like just the things that we're used to doing. And we, we hold those things dogmatically because it's what we know. Because change would be difficult or transition. All of us would agree transition is hard. If you've ever moved, if you had a new job, Right? If you move from city to city, transition is difficult, change is difficult, and we want to hold to that which we know, but if there's a new teaching that we need to have, right? if God wants to do something new in our hearts, we may have to change our containers, right? because those containers might not, might not fit for what we need to receive. God wants to change you. And he's saying, you need new wineskins right, to take this wine. What else? What does it mean for a church right, that's barely five years old and now we're in a new place? Right? It's a new building, new city, new neighborhood. Um, and as we're trying to draw, draw in new people, right? And maybe un- unchurched people or untrained people, right? What does it look like to people to reach out to people who aren't trained in the arts of church culture? Right? As you imagine? I grew up in this church, so I know what these things are. These pews. But someone who just never stepped inside of a church, what is this wooden seating structure? Like, why? <laughs> what are these books in these pockets before me? Right. Or the lingo that we use. Right? Or the things that we hang our hat on as this is righteous. This is what it means to behave correctly in church culture. But if if you're someone who's untrained in that, it doesn't make sense. They're going to be like someone who walked into a fine dinner and used the wrong fork and the wrong spoons and burped and belched their way through dinner. And people are like, (gasps) (gasps) amen? We need to be willing to Receive newness, right? Receive new learners, people who are approaching and seeking God and the wine in a different way, right? And we need to adjust. Mission, right? What does it mean as we go from being in a community center with not having kind of a home base, Right? where everything is about what we say, our vision, our mission, right? right? We, we don't really have anything to invite people into and like, hey, come to our program, come to our, our gym, come to our fellowship hall, come to this, come to this, come to this. And now all of a sudden we have a huge place that's a come to this, come to this, come to this, right? But how do we keep kind of the freshness How does the church move from just simply being attractional, which is another, if you're trained in the church, right? It's another word. Attractional, like people will just come. If you build it, it will come. If I preach well enough, people are going to come. If we have a really good children's ministry, people will come. How do you move from hanging your hat on that to, this is what we believe God is calling us to. This is our vision. This is our mission. These are our values. Will you join us in that? Will you join us in being renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhood? Because we feel pretty passionate about that and it's exciting. And then new wine, new wineskins. What and how we teach how we mentor, how we disciple, how we train, how we do small groups or spiritual formation. Right. So uh, Renew Our Church has a part of a grant um, in association with the Lilly Foundation and Seattle Pacific Seminary. Um, it's called Pivot Northwest, and it's an initiative uh, to kind of collaborate and thinking up of new ways to minister to young adults. So people ages 22 through 29, which is the biggest population that is leaving the church right now, it's leaving the church. And, uh, and there's all kinds of, all kinds of churches, and we, we, we've got a grant. And um, a lot of our testimonies uh, have been about uh, we, were, we were sharing, each church was sharing images of how, what is an image that represents how we feel about ministry to young adults. And people would be sharing like, we are a dead tree, right? Or a river that's dried up. And there's just these stories and stories of this heart's breaking, pastors and staff, like, I see kids leaving for college and just never coming back. We try to be hip, right? We try to do all these things. I tried to put a tattoo on me, but my wife wouldn't let me. It didn't work. Right? It's not what's happening. I can't reach, we can't reach them. Right? And part of this whole grant is just to put our heads together and collaborate. Like, what is it? What do we do? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Right. so what are the ways that we need to rethink you know, how we teach how we deliver how we present the gospel how we love right, around us and what that love looks like and who we're loving um, and then finally as we strive to intentionally be a multi-ethnic and intergenerational church, right? I do want to say that we need to honor uh, those who are older and have wisdom. We need to honor the fine wine in our midst. Jesus, Jesus wasn't saying, don't drink old wine, right? In fact, he said, if you've drank old wine, of course you're not going to drink new wine. Old wine is good, and we need, we need to honor those things. We need to hold things in tension, right? And as we face the challenges and the conflicts that come up with dealing with people of different cultures, different leadership styles, different generations, right? There's no, there's no easy way to address right, reconciliation or being together, right? You just have to be committed to relationship and to engaging with one another, right? And be open to, hey, here's the swine. Like, how are we gonna catch this? How are we gonna contain this? God, come Lord Jesus. We need to pray, we need to listen and discern. And that's the way that we remain, we're faithful to that. Let's pray.